Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to episode 45 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I am your host, Jack Rico, and we're sending our love and prayers to the people of Barcelona who suffered a senseless terrorist attack. These are our fellow Hispanic brothers, and I've been there many times, and it's a city of happiness and peace, and you just got to ask yourself, when is this violence, this random violence going to end This world seems to be going backwards. But on a lighter note, if you are a first-time listener to this U.S. Latino pop culture show, thank you for discovering us, and please share the show with your friends. Well, this is probably one of the best podcast shows I think I've done. I got some tremendous guests. First of all, I chat with the music editor of the Associated Press, Mesfin Ficadu, Uh, He broke the story about Despacito not being nominated at this year's VMAs. Did this happen because of cultural bias? We dissect all the variables along with some of our thoughts on whether MTV should start playing Spanish language music videos. Then I talked to Colombia's hottest band of the moment. They are Bomba Estéreo about their new album, Ayo, Music and Race, Coca Leaves, believe it or not. Payola in the music business, yes, they went there, and their love for the street language of Spanglish. Then there's a film no one's been able to stop talking about, and that's Dunkirk. I reviewed the 70mm IMAX experience with my brother Alex in a new segment I'm calling First Reaction, because the review is done inside the theater as you get to hear our immediate reaction as the end credits are rolling. Also, I went on the Today Show this week and recommended my top eight must-binge TV shows. You can't miss that one. So keep your headphones on. This is the Highly Relevant Podcast. So I'm not sure if you've been keeping up with Despacito in the headlines, but on episode 43 of this podcast, I opened up the show by talking about MTV's TRL reboot and said, if they're ever going to be relevant again, they're going to have to include Latino artists. There's just no buts about it. And it's either going to happen in English or in Spanish. So this week, the Associated Press broke an exclusive article about MTV not nominating Despacito at this year's VMAs and then went ahead and faulted Universal Music Latin for not submitting the video. In return, Universal faulted MTV for not asking them to submit the video. So you see where this is going, right? To me, this speaks to a deeper conversation about culture and language in the American music industry when we never really have had it. It's been like, you know how Star Trek has the last frontier? Well, the American music industry might be the last frontier uh, where this type of behavior might have been indirectly exposed by this article uh, as a culture of bias at MTV. And it's mostly in regards to how they see Latino music and Spanish language. So joining me now is Mesfin Ficaru. You should know his name. He is the music editor for the Associated Press. He wrote and broke this story. So Mesfin, thank you so much, man, for being here on the uh, Highly Relevant Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So your article on the Associated Press really made the rounds. What factors uh, do you think this story possesses that made it newsworthy for you? Well, I think when the nominations were initially announced, I assumed I would see Despacito as one of the nominees because it was such a 
massive hit. Um, you know, arguably at that point, the biggest hit of the year. It definitely is now, but I think at that point, it sort of rivaled Ed Sheeran's Shape of You. Uh, and so I was sort of curious when I didn't see it nominated at all. Um, that sort of was a red flag for me. You know, I think if it, had, if it had gotten one nomination, it would have been snubbed, but it would have been recognized. So I did a little bit of research sort of trying to figure out why. So you had already kind of predicted that this might actually be happening. Well, I knew that something, I thought something might be up. You got your spidey Um, senses kicked in. (laughs) Because it was just, it was just such a big song. And it's, you know, it, you know, regardless of what's a hit song, if you don't like the artist, if you do, it it doesn't really matter if it's something that's a lot of people are listening to, especially the records. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's the most viewed video of all time, no matter what country, anywhere. Three billion. Right. Three billion, two hundred twenty two million, three hundred fifteen thousand seven hundred and fifty seven as of this current moment. Right. It's the most streamed track of all time. It's, um, you know, 14 weeks at number one. It could break Mariah Carey's record for the longest number number one song of all time. So those are just not easy records to break. Right. Um, And, and, you know, just even the the music video record, this is a show that honors music videos. And so you would assume even there would be nominated. So I did a little bit of research, um, you know, contacted MTV and contacted the record label, because I knew there was a story there. I had already interviewed um, Louis Fonsi, and I'd asked him about it, and I don't think he was really paying attention to the the VMA nominations. You know, clearly he's around the world performing this song. This is the biggest moment in his career. But I'm sure he would not have minded the recognition. Yeah, no, he, he, and he, he sort of said that in the quote. I think he knew that they've accomplished so much so far, but he said that awards are important and it is nice to win them. I think, um, you know, I think they're probably a little bit more focused on the Latin Grammys and the Grammys. Those are the bigger awards that they're looking at. But I just thought that it was weird that this was such a big pop culture moment and it wasn't being celebrated at MTV. At you know, the right. You know, the thing about the Latin Grammys is that the Latin Grammys, for as big as it is, it's still sort of a segregated award show, which, yes. you know, that's a whole other conversation about, you know, kind of what the VMAs are doing this year. They're making everything gender neutral. Well, we should at some point do racial neutral stuff. Like there should not be a BET award show necessarily. Everything should be applauding the works of every culture and every race in one award show. You know, I mean, you could have several ones that kind of do that, but... I think that the buzzworthy thing, the one that really sets you apart from every other Latino artist, is the ability to have a Spanish language tune uh, with or sans Justin Bieber to make it that far where they could even actually perform uh, at the MTV VMAs. That would have been hot. That would have been an opportunity that I just feel like MTV or why are why are people not thinking about this? It's funny. ABC Good Morning America still hasn't made them perform. Uh, on their show. The Today Show should have had them at the plaza. So you find out the information, right, from the record label and from MTV, and were did you feel that the, the people that you were talking to, were they scratching their heads on, how do I answer this question? I do think, I do think there was a little bit of that because it wasn't, it wasn't just a simple answer. <laughs> um, it wasn't just, it wasn't just like, uh, like the label's, you know, when MTV said the label didn't submit, it wasn't like the label purposely didn't submit. I think it's a it's a Latin-based label in the U.S., but they're mainly working the Latin market. So they, I don't think they're in contact really with MTV proper mm-hmm. or MTV2 like they are MTV Trace. So for them, when, you know, MTV wasn't playing the video, to them I don't think it was surprising. I, right that it wasn't nominated. So MTV is basically saying, hey, Universal, which is the one I think that put in the complaint or something, uh, they said, look, Universal Records, Universal Music Latin Entertainment, they did not submit to us for consideration Despacito as a video, and so therefore it was never in competition. No one was even considering it. MT- right, it's, Uni- it's almost ineligible. Right, so Universal is saying, well, you should have done it anyway, because of the power that the song has 
is it because it's Spanish? I think that was like the subtext. That's kind of what I was like trying to unearth in between the mm -hmm. lines. And so each one's faulting the other one for not being proactive about it. Who's right here? I do think they're both wrong. Exactly. I think they're both That's what I think too. Because I think that, um, I think for MTV, you know, even, right, you're probably not playing full Spanish music videos on your main channel. But when you see a song that has, done what Despacito has done. I, even it's better to be late to the party than to just ignore it, you know? So I, and you the know, video's I an outlier. programming, right? Right. And the pro, so I would imagine that people on their programming team should have reached out to the label or should have, should have reached out to try to get the song. You know, I imagine if there's a Rihanna song or a Beyonce song that you want MTV, you're going to try and make it and get it, you know, unless it's an exclusive to another platform. Now, Otherwise, right. you would try to get it. And for the label, I think, right, they should have, you know, you see that the song is moving mountains and you, you have to not box yourself to just your your Latin artists or the, the channels that you usually are communicating with because this song can be, can open doors and do things that other Spanish songs haven't done. And, you know, we see more, this is not the thing, part of the reason why I wanted to write the story was because we're going to see more songs like this. You know what I mean? Even though this song is a rare case because it's accomplishments, it's more than English songs, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. More than other, other songs, we still will see this. J Balvin's song is doing so Mi well. Gente, Even right yeah. now, yeah, Mi Gente, in the top um, 100, they're probably uh, the Billboard top 100, um, hot 100 charts. There are probably like five fully Spanish songs or, or mostly Spanish songs on the chart, which is which is a big deal. You know Dude, what I mean? It's insane. And that might actually be historic. I don't know if that has right. ever happened. Right. Exactly. Because Maluma and Nicky Jam and a lot of other people have these songs. So it's it was important to write this story because this may be an example where for the label and MTV, it was a new experience, but there you go. let's make sure it's rectified so it does not happen again because it's it's missed, uh, missed opportunity. And for, for MTV, it's just really hard to look at that award show and not see Despacito represented. How much of this, Mesfin, is truly this a new experience? Because it sounds to me that there's English language, either black or white folk, that have never been exposed or the, the idea of Spanish language music videos being played on the channel or performances being performed in Spanish that is not in English. How much of that is the fact that there's not a Latino within that executive management that can make those decisions or at least suggest them? How much of it is some sort of culture bias within the MTV management system that doesn't allow something like this to happen or... I mean, it's just, it's mind-boggling to me because I feel like after Oscar So White, we've been fighting this diversity-inclusive war and that it hasn't really reached music channels like MTV. At this pace, I feel that this is the crossroads. This article that you did has potentially opened up a Pandora's box about how music channels should treat foreign languages, whether they're hits or not hits, Um into their system. What do you think is is actually going on? It's it's hard for me to say sort of like with the MTV, their management, because I'm not familiar enough with the people there to say if there's any Latino representation or black representation or Asian representation. I, but what I will say is I think MTV needs to sort of adopt, a, adopt sort of like the Spotify method, whereas Spotify allows everyone to listen to anything at the same time you know there's no spanish single being released somewhere in latin america first and then in a in the usa after you know what i mean like everyone gets to listen to everything and everything feels inclusive and so even with spotify you'll see on their global chart of yeah. 50 songs eight of those songs are spanish songs look at that so i think if you just allow you because that's where the culture is going, you know, so and Spotify allows you to listen to whatever you want. So I think MTV sort of has to sort of has to adopt that and not limit what the possibilities are, you know, and not box 
box things in and also you know see what see what the kids are listening to see what the public is listening to if mm-hmm. you're looking at a global chart and you see that these songs are doing well put them on your channel it doesn't hurt you know i mean some radio pop radio stations are playing the song in full spanish oh absolutely z100 here in new york is doing it um right which i was you know i mean they've done this with da- uh, daddy yankees gasolina back in the day in the early 2000s right yes you're right so you know it's 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 not crazy for me to hear it on the radio but for mtv or an award show to actually recognize that in that specific language it is the mission statement of juanis it's the mission statement of romeo santos these right. two guys, these two artists do not want to sing in English because they feel that they're, that music doesn't need language barriers. Right. And if they don't accept it for, for, for the great music that it is, then there's something wrong systemically. And, and, you know, it makes sense. But I do think it's one of those moments in, I guess, the business, the, the, the business of music, where it has to readapt itself and understand how Spanish language music is the driving force, at least right now, it's the hottest trending uh, music source for culture. Right, and it's influencing, it's influencing a lot of pop music. I mean, the new French Montana song. That's right, with J Balvin, Unforgettable. Yeah, oh, dude, it's the jam. But even the original, it has a reggaeton vibe. The DJ Khaled Wild Thoughts, which is nominated at the VMAs, that's right. Another high you know, is is sampling Maria Maria. So you can see the influence that it's having on your everyday pop pop records. So I think MTV just sort of has to recognize that and, and jump on board um, because it's you know they do a disservice to themselves. But I would say too, as fans and as creatives in the industry, we sort of have to keep the conversation going. And you start, you have to call people out if you feel that it's necessary. You know, I was really surprised that they're because the VMA nominations were released on July 25th. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that more noise wasn't made before my story. You know, mm-hmm. my story took a little bit of time because it was meticulous. No one was trying looking to for really it. understand what was happening on both parties and it wasn't you know it wasn't just a simple oh the label forgot or mtv doesn't (laughs) want to play it you know um but i think we need to make sure that the conversation continues uh so that we can so that uh, other spanish songs that that our big pop hits get the the glory they deserve and get as much love and attention that, that any English hit would get. That's right. As you know, uh, president of MTV, Chris McCarthy, in the New York Times article, basically announced that he's reviving TRL and is constructing the studio once again in Times Square, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that I had talked about in my previous podcast episode was that if they're ever going to be the TRL of today, it cannot match you know, what it was before. It has to adapt to the musical tastes of uh, the culture at large and what that is. And that's part of it is Spanish. It'll be interesting to see if the top 10 countdown video will include Spanish songs like Despacito and Mi Gente and if they would do it in Spanish and maybe invite the artists to perform those songs in Times Square. I think that would be some hot jam. I mean, you'd be getting all the Latino girls and and the Latino kids, millennials and Generation Zs heading out there it, it might create that craziness, that that pandemonium, right. if Romeo Santos shows up at MTV's TRL. You know that dude filled it, out Yankee Stadium two nights in a row. So imagine what right, he could do in exactly. Times Square. Right, and I think that it would it would just make MTV really, you know, hip make and cool and super relevant. Absolutely, and hip and cool, like you said. But also, it's giving these artists a chance to perform the music that they want the way they want to perform it and not tell them like, Oh, if you change a little bit of this, or if you add an English hook, we can play it. No, you know, it's already a hit the way it is. I shouldn't, <laughs> they shouldn't have to right. alter their music I to think, fit a format that you've designed. That doesn't really mean anything. Right. Um, and I think that the and fear, I, I'll say this too, you uh-huh. know, MTV still has not played Despacito and I think it will be silly if TRL premieres and they don't have that video. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely not. And the thing is, I think there is a fear, and this is just my opinion, my personal opinion. I think there is a fear that Spanish language music might not, but might somehow negatively impact or might not be welcomed by white 
Anglo audiences. Then they're like, "Hey, what is this? Why are you playing something Spanish that I don't particularly understand? I don't understand what those lyrics are. Why are you playing something that I don't understand? I'm going to click off the channel." I think there might be some sort of worry or fear there, but those need to somehow be quenched. I think, you know, through conversations like this, for example, I think that you start normalizing that, hey, it's okay for you to do that. But those, you know, some of those fears are interesting. And then final question I wanted to ask you, Mesfin, is paint me a picture. Illustrate the next three years of music. How will will Spanish language musics be a part of the mainstream at this point? Or are we far, far off till Spanish language music is common and normal on radio stations and, and, and music channels? I want to say that Spanish music has the, has the potential to be part of the norm because we have, there are so many Spanish artists and so many different Latin artists. You know, everyone doesn't sound the same. There's so many subgenres within Latin music that there's more than enough artists and creatives and people to do that. I just think we need to see it more consistently so that it becomes the norm. So right now, I think we're seeing it the most consistent you know and with with, with despacito and then jay balvin and and nikki jam and all these people and maluma is probably gonna you know maluma is a big star but i think he will become a big pop star to american to the american audience so i think the more we see that consistently and it's not just this like you know the macarena obviously is an amazing song but it's sort of gimmicky mm-hmm. and it's corny or like campy, yeah. or, it's right, fun, but, but it's die, fun, though. <laughs> right. It's fun, and it's still a great song, but I think we need more songs like Despacito that's not relying on sort of a one-time gimmick, you know, because that those are, you know, Macarena is memorable, but I feel like Despacito has a stronger life, and I think people take it a little bit more seriously. So more songs like that, I think, will help make it part of the norm. And the thing is, you know, in the U.S., everyone speaks Spanish. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people speak Spanish. So for kids now, when I was a kid, I wasn't, I didn't learn Spanish in kindergarten. But other kids today and kids who were even in high school, they probably learned Spanish in kindergarten. So for them, it's not abnormal. It's kind of normal to them, you know. It's sort of the new normal. Mm-hmm. So it's the I new normal, those, yeah those people will come up and they're not so surprised by it. I think it's people who are a little older who are like, oh, this is different. You know, no one really likes change, even though they say they do. But for the younger kids, to them, it's it's kind of normal. They know some of the words. They know a little bit of Spanish. They have a lot of Spanish friends. There are so many Spanish people in America, you know what I mean, that it should be represented on pop radio because it's a reflection of what we're seeing in America. Mesfin Ficado, music editor for the Associated Press. Thanks for your insights, my man, and, and for sparking this conversation of music and language inclusion. It's, it's very important to me, and I think it's a conversation that definitely needs to be had. So thanks for being on the podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's time for Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Benicio del Toro's Sicario will have a sequel titled Sicario 2, Soldado, which will open June 29th, 2018. Daniel Craig confirms he's returning as James Bond. Mission Impossible 6 shoot delayed after Tom Cruise broke his ankle doing a stunt. Spider-Man sequel with Tom Holland to release February 8, 2019. And reality YA movies are about to become the hottest trend in Hollywood. In TV news, Shonda Rhimes has left ABC and signed a multi-year deal with Netflix worth almost $100 million to create original content. USA has greenlit a suit spinoff with Afro-Latina actress Gina Torres. Spain airs episode 6 of Game of Thrones by mistake. Unimas is premiering a pop culture TV show called Cuéntame Más from San Antonio, August 18th. Netflix renews Ozark for season 2. Jennifer Aniston is planning a return to TV in a comedy. Fox is making a License to Drive remake. And CBS is planning on greenlighting a singing competition show from Justin Bieber's manager, Scooter Braun. Switching over to music. Fonsi has been named Puerto Rico's tourism ambassador and also appeared in Good Morning America this week to perform Despacito solo without Daddy Yankee 
or Justin Bieber. René Pérez from Calle 13 wants to do a Spanish version of Hamilton with Lin-Manuel Miranda. Arcade Fire will be performing in Guadalajara, Mexico. CNN and Español premiered a new Elvis Presley special titled Elvis Presley Vive. And James Corden remixes Despacito on his CBS Late Night Show. Listen. Song of summer okay i know the song of summer's despacito and i'm singing slowly just like despacito but this song's about more than just despacito song of summer Putin had a one-on-one -on -one with megan kelly conviction for big farmers martin screlly beyonce gave birth to twins from her belly and in digital and social media news hbo's social media accounts were hacked this week apple is planning to spend one billion dollars in hollywood programming facebook adds new camera features in hopes that you'll use stories since no one is using it twitter partners with the weather channel to live stream the total eclipse and you can now reply to instagram messages with pictures and video what was the last time you heard of a musical genre called Electrotropical? Probably never, and that's because Colombian band Bomba Stereo were the ones who invented it. And it fuses traditional and indigenous Colombian sounds with electronic music. Their fourth album, Amanecer, was a breakthrough album, and it earned a 2016 Grammy and Latin Grammy nomination for Best Alternative Album. It even made Will Smith come out of musical hiatus for a remix called Fiesta. Hold up. All right. Hola, mamacita. Go get me a birra. This track is a heat. I couldn't let the beat go by without a feature. Because it's hot shit. Only you know me. OG, hot class, and low key. Trying to find me a Sophie Vegetta. In a dance floor to terror. Because me, I like beauty. Their fifth album, Ayo, debuted this week and it accompanies a semi-world tour with several stops in the United States. First of all, muchísimas gracias por estar con nosotros. Thank you so much for being on the Highly Relevant Podcast. Simón, Liliana, how are you? ¿Cómo están? Good. Well, good, you, good. You, you can call me Lee. When I call okay, me Liliana, Lee. I think you me está regañando. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're cool, man. We're just... In the middle of a tour, we have done some amazing shows in Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco. First time playing the album live, so it has been awesome. People so this is, a, this is a world tour, correct? Yeah, it's a world tour. From here to December, we'll be playing here in the States, then Europe, then Latin America, then Colombia. Um, how often have you been to part, New York? Part of the world. No? Part of the world, We're right. We're not going to India or Japan or Australia. That would be cool though, right? That would be cool, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe next year. Um, so let's talk about the album. Um, Ayo. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. yes. Or Ayo. 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 So my parents are from Colombia. Uh, my parents are from Barranquilla. Yes. Oh, and I was born in Queens. Land of the Juarrayo. Yeah. Eh, sí, claro. <laughs> El tumbaito, eh. Santa Marta, so be close. So, really yeah, close. Tierra de Carlos Vives. Exactly. And right. so, you know, um, I grew up there uh, when I was a teenager, learned my Spanish, but I'm from New York and Queens. And so I have that bicultural, bilingual aspect. Like, I love Colombia, but I also love the United States and the culture and everything that it does. Explain to me how this album... Um, conforms to the world and not necessarily to a specific Latino. It really is an album to share with everybody from any culture. And I think that's one of the messages that Bomba Stereo uh, sort of delivers, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the root of our music, no? It's like the music we make is a music that comes from everywhere because in Colombia we grew up listening to almost everything, no? We listen to our traditional music and to salsa and tropical and music from Cuba mm -hmm. and from the Caribbean. <coughs> and But at the same time, music from the States to hip hop, rock, electronic music, and music from, from Europe, no? So you grow up and you go to a party in Colombia and parties are so crazy that you can be dancing salsa and then you put an electronic track and people dance and then you know, it's very eclectic. It's right. Part, and that's Bomba's music. Is that reflected in, in music? No? <coughs> like you know, we play our roots, but we play electronic, but we do some a little bit of hip hop, and we have some rock elements and some reggae and some 
It's a blend. It's like a sancocho. If you're cooking, it's like cooking a sancocho. <laughs> you know, it's so funny that you say that. Y mondongo también a la misma vez. Internacionales, that is the second single of the album, speaks a little bit about that. No, About like how music is a universal language. And when you're dancing or you're in the dance floor, it doesn't matter where you are from. Everyone dances and mm -hmm. exactly. unites you as a human being. Mm -hmm. <laughs> With the other, no, independent of race, of sex, of I don't know, nationality, language, we're all the same when you we're dance, dancing. You dance, you dance, you dance. You know, it's funny because I feel that Colombia right now is going through a golden era, a musical renaissance, that and sports. I don't remember that. <laughs> I'll be honest. In Colombia, when I lived in Barranquilla, era vallenato. Yes. El Binomio de Oro, Israel Romero. That's the music that I grew up with. And if it wasn't that of the parties, you had Joe Arroyo, Salsa, yeah. and then it was Cumbia. And then you would kind of dance to that. But I felt like when Juanes and Shakira started coming out, we started elevating that. And then Carlos Vives kind of popularized and modernized Vallenato to pave the way for Fonseca, um, etc. In your case, we know that you created this music, but how do you explain the explosion of sounds that reached Colombia through you and then it delivered it to the world. How were, were you into American music when you were in Colombia? Why weren't you into the other more traditional folkloric songs uh, when you were starting out Bomba Stereo? I think in the, in, it was a different scene. Mm -hmm. You know, it was main, mainstream and alternative. Right. Yeah. So we and con radioactiva, la estación de radio radioactiva exactly, back in the day, right? Exactly. Uh -huh. Still goes on today. We still? <laughs> <It's> still. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome, yeah, though. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I remember because we are like the the person for me, for example, I never liked that Vallenato when I was young. You didn't like no, it? No, I yeah. didn't like Dio it. Diomedes Diaz, yeah. Alejandro yeah, no, no. Durán. Alejandro Durán, maybe, yeah, but you know, like my, my generation was more like Diomedes Diaz and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I I look I like more like alternative music, more like rock and. What stuff. bands did you listen to? Nirvana. Right, so Bjork. these were these were American European bands. They yeah, weren't yeah, necessarily yeah, yeah, Colombian yeah. bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right, no, or no. Latin American. Yeah, right. more like rock and different songs, no Latin. Mm -hmm. And but in other way, we come more from the mix more like the champeta you know they mix like oh, electronic yeah. stuff with uh, african music mm -hmm, so it's mm -hmm. the way we come from more no more like no more like a vallenato mix or pop mix mm -hmm. it's more like champeta because it's champeta was like a dj's with rhythms and and um como se dice? synthesizers uh -huh. and all this stuff so de ahí viene bomba más como de eso y después puedo decirlo en español sí, sí. hay como esta escena que faltaba como alternativa había como hay que un, un hueco un ¿no? hueco ahí porque estaba Shakira Juanes y Carlos Vives que son más mainstream eh, pero estaba toda esta escena que empezó a nacer en ese momento por los DJs porque los DJs empezaron a viajar a poner música en partes del mundo y ese sonido de bomba era colombiano pero a la vez con un poco del mundo seguramente muchos de esos DJ no querían poner una canción de Shakira o Carlos Vives pero sí había una <risa> sí. canción de Bomba que era un poquito electrónico uh -huh. porque era otro género no porque ni siquiera porque ellos quisieran pero es que ustedes no tienen ni un género o sea es casi difícil y complicado es como electrotropical electropical que digamos. es algo casi inventado, yeah, creado no por ustedes. Inventamos, sí. Yeah. Um, Entonces, sí I want to talk um, with you guys about the trip that you supposedly took for inspiration to la Sierra Nevada. I did that trip in Santa Marta. Yo me fui a la Sierra Nevada, a la montaña, hice un retreat espiritual, the whole nine. Um, what made you want to go to la Sierra Nevada? Was that a form of reclaiming your, your costeño roots and what were you looking for in that mountain? I lived there. Ah, okay, so, <laughs> so that's, that's where you live. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we have a friend, he, uh, he's come from Brooklyn, uh -huh. and he moved to Minca. You know, Minca, Minca is a mountain right. in the Sierra Nevada. Uh -huh. So he had the studio there. 
Wow. So we go to record in the studio. It's like a really amazing studio. And yeah, we be in touch with him and we make like a spiritual pagamento, like a, a spiritual ritual mm -hmm. for start the the album. So yeah, it was more like that. Go to La Sierra Nevada because the Sierra Nevada is so big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been right. in Minca, uh -huh. and in Minca we record the the album. So right. What, 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 that was our trip. <laughs> Simon, did you feel that there was there a deadline from the recording <laughs> studio that you needed to deliver this album on such yes. and such a date? Yeah, they are always bothering with deadlines. So, so <laughs> how do you how do you come up with an idea? when you're pressured to deliver that idea on a particular date and not have the freedom, the creative freedom to just do it whenever that inspiration comes, it could take two, three years. How do you come yeah. up with that so fast? No, it's crazy because in music, when you're making music, it can be like an endless process. Yeah. It's very difficult to know, actually, to know when a song is finished in the studio because it's like cooking and you want to be cooking forever like hey put more yeah. of this take this out and and it can be forever so actually deadlines are good because you like by force have you to have to take yeah we we i don't know if it's ended or not but we have to end it now so it's it's over <laughs> right 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 when you make up food and you don't put too much mm -hmm. and you put salt sugar and everything is oh my god right right <laughs> <laughs> so 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 the, the way the the articles write it, it it's it makes it sound like you guys went to go do psychedelics in the mountains <laughs> and that you were doing mushrooms in ayahuasca and then all of a sudden you reconnected with nature uh was that was there is there any truth in that this is the people want to hear that's what they want to hear, but that's yeah. not what you did. No, actually, yeah, no. Actually it no. was a very clean ritual. We yeah. didn't use anything. Just it was we just, just meditating and thinking. And we asked for permission. Permission. Permission for the nature and the instruments uh -huh. and the energies and the voice mm -hmm. and the everything to make the music. So it was the, the ritual. And there was only, there's the, the sacred leaf in, the, in La Sierra is the coca leaf. Yeah. So you chew that, but I don't consider that as a, a, a psychedelic. A psychedelic, yeah. It's, it just, you, yeah. it's indigenous and they do it every day, so it's, it's part of the process. You have to Who be wrote into that. that. Article? <laughs> because maybe they mix the Jahe article with this article. Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> um, when I, I, I first found out about you guys through the album Amanecer. And I'm sure that a lot of people in the exterior heard Bomba Steady for the very first time when they heard Amanecer. How would you describe Ayo differently than Amanecer? Do you think it's a sequel to that album or would you say it's radically different? It's different, but it, yeah, in Amanecer, it's a, a sequel, but a different sequel because we came back musically, we came back to, to kind of our roots but the themes maybe they're like similar no? mm -hmm. but in a different way but Amanecer was also like a very spiritual album as well how did you guys change when you when the fame of Amanecer hit when Will Smith is calling you and saying hey I want to be part of the album and you're nominated for a Latin Grammy and you're traveling all over the world because of this album even though you put four albums before that and you didn't live that you didn't experience that level of fame how have are you have you changed as people because of the fame because of the amount of people that want to be around you and people want to collaborate do you feel you're a better person today than you were before or did you feel like at some point you sold out commercially because of fame the that fame don't cease <laughs> but uh <clears throat> i think the only thing that changed that uh, everybody started to ask about collaboration with Will Smith <laughs> but nothing changed I think if the the fact change is more people hear our music mm -hmm. so more people know Bomba Stereo now but it's not a really like 
changed a lot. Yeah, we we don't like. You're still the same people. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't. We're not people that <laughs> that go out to the street and they stop you and stuff. No. Mm-hmm. And Would we you don't, welcome we that? Don't want, we you don't, don't want that. Well, if it comes, it's it's for a reason. Fortunately. For. Yeah, you fortunately. Say fortunately. No, fortunately. 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 Yeah, fortunately. Yeah, you go. Okay. We, we <laughs> because you understand how yeah, fortunately. Yeah. We yeah. still we can still have yeah. our lives and, and for me. Oh my god. So there's still a certain level of anonymity that yeah. you guys enjoy. Yeah, yeah because yeah, our yeah, music yeah. is not like extremely mainstream, you know, and I uh, we don't want that. We 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 just we just want to make music. You know, we, we don't wanna go outside and everybody taking picture of you on this. I also wanted to talk to you about radio airplay. At the end of the day, you do belong to a record label and the record label demands to make a profit off of your music. So there's that commercialization, that business aspect of Bomba Stadio and you know every other band in the world that is signed with some sort of record label. The, I asked this question to Juanes, because Juanes is like strictly rock pop. And I said, Juanes, when, I, when you and I grew up, Rock and Espanol was still going strong. Today, reggaeton is going strong. Yeah. Do you feel that radio stations, Miami, New York City, are they playing LA? Are they playing Bomba Stereo with the frequency that the reggaeton, reggaetoneros experience? Or do you find that it's difficult for a song of Bomba Stereo that does not have a category, that does not have a label, uh, to be on radio airplay today? <laughs> Yeah, the <laughs> <laughs> a little payolita. Yes, <laughs> it works like that. That's the way it works, yeah. right? Yeah. No, and the good thing about it is that we've never been dependent on radio plays yes. because Bomba Stereo has been a band that the, the major thing is playing, doing shows. So we don't depend. If it happens, it's okay. But we're not we're not getting into that circle of that. Every every radio. The play Bomba Stereo is because they want. They want to play it, not play. because they have to play it. Yeah. And, and we still, and, and for me, music today is streamings and shows. Yeah. And Bomba Stereo is So the business is playing. no longer in the radio. Yeah, it's yeah, streaming it's, it's and it's still show. strong, it's still strong. But you see, like, I don't know, recent hits, like, I don't know, Lean On, for example, was a streaming hit. It was not like a radio a hit. Popular, popular music, but, but you you can hear like music just in the internet uh, or DJs. Mm-hmm. DJs is at the radio station now. They put music everywhere, so they chose what the people listen, not like just the radio. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. the radio is the right, no. So it's because the fact because it's become a business, but now we, we don't we don't need on the yeah, radio. And we're happy if we can still do festivals that are like contemporary, yeah. like Lola Palusa, Cuachera, and we still do that. So I'm happy with that. You think it was, this is the reality where you play and play and play and play. That's, that's um, the real shit. I, w- <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about your fans, social media especially. You know, when you both came in, you were on your phones, you were texting, you were. Probably on Twitter or something like that. I was with my family. Oh, you were with your family? Okay. So, but with social media, how do you interact with social media? Do you feel that social media is a great way to interact with the fans? Or are you those types of uh, artists that want nothing to do with a public audience of your fans being so close to you and having the ability to say something bad or good or criticize or, or compliment you in any way through, through one of those platforms? I think it depends when it's natural. Mm-hmm. For example, now we have the stories in Instagram. In Instagram, right. I love that because it's easy. I can do it when I'm working, and the people can see. And the next day, it's right. not there, so it's cool. But sometimes we're really busy. We we don't want to be like you need to do that because it's not like natural. When it's natural, right. it's better. And do you do you get any feedback from the? From, from your fans about what kind of music they want and do you actually listen to them and insert it into your creative process? The thing is when you start to listen everybody, when you start to listen right. the fans, they want to the, do the same that you did before. So that's a the problem. Best, the, the best is no listen, just listen you hard, you mm. listen to you and then after they can decide if they like. I think that they like because we like it. So we listen more. The, the, for example, we try to 
to give the album to the fans before everybody. So mm -hmm. the, the fans around the world, they listen the album before the other people, mm -hmm. like two days before. Right. Because we want to share with the fans before the other people. Right, so right. It was, was a really good experiment because they were so happy and sad. Let's talk a little bit about concerts. Um, you sold out New York City two nights. You sold out Washington DC. Uh, you're doing you know small venues at the moment. Are you? Do you think your music can go all the way to stadium concerts <laughs> where you're having anthems? Because I feel like your songs, some of them feel like anthems, where people can dance. You know, people can just connect on a, on a on a more human level with your music what what is the mission of the music in terms of concerts do you want to stay doing the small venues maybe madison square garden but not the big maracanas the big you know <laughs> you never know i think you cannot decide yeah. as well it's like music do does what it has to do and it takes you to it where it has to take you and you never know what's going to happen. I like to play small venues. I like to play big festivals. Mm -hmm. We've done like a free concerts in Mexico, massive, massive concerts. So yeah, you never know what's going, what's going to what happen. What about the United States? What about the Hispanic in the United States? What about the blacks, the, the, the whites? How are they interacting with your music? Do you feel that you've made an impact in the United yeah. States? Yeah, and it's, it's amazing because some people, because we, we are Latinos, mm -hmm. so Latinos have that chill, you know, dance and everything. When you go to the school tour, but now, of course, La, uh, America, uh, USA is become really Latin, but it's, you know, it's a process. Mm -hmm. So when you see the people that they don't know dance or something or just trying, it's getting crazy because they don't have that chip. Mm -hmm. So when they, dance and do all the stuff they get in like a, having like a <laughs> trance or something like, this is amazing <laughs> and simona have you noticed something crazy in this journey this experience uh of bomba stereo what was what's been the thing that has most stood out from this whole experience for you yeah yeah like playing and seeing like how the audience because we've done like the long path you know, we, we, we're, we've done our work, it's almost 11 years now, and we've seen the growth slowly. It's not like we made That's one That's the best one. It's the most yeah, rewarding, it's, the, it's most the most fulfilling. most rewarding, and it's like the long path. I mean, it's like life. It's not, not like we make one hit, and then from one day to another, we're like really huge. <laughs> right. So every time we come to the States, there are more people going to the concerts. At, like at the beginning, yeah. it was only Colombians. Uh -huh. And then those Colombian girls came with their American boyfriend, boyfriend and, friends, right? and that American boyfriend told his friends and yeah, then yeah, more yeah. Americans. And then you go to a Bombastero concert and it's half, half, sometimes more Americans than Latin. What? So yeah. that's that's really beautiful to see. And, and it's people that don't know how to speak Spanish, but they are dancing and feeling and understanding yeah. the music. I did want to ask you about the language issue. I've noticed in this new uh, in this new album, Ayo, you use Spanish and English, Spanglish. Sometimes there's some songs that you begin in English. Uh, I think Kimika is one of them. Tell me about the Spanglish. Why did you want to use English and Spanish in your album? What's the message there? What was the 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 the, the thinking behind that? The language we, of the present, yeah, we, and we, the future. <laughs> we did before. We did in a, in all albums. So you've always used yeah. it in your albums. Yeah, yeah. Every 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 album we we use uh, Spanish. And is that because it's the language of the present, or it's because you feel that you need to speak English for English language audiences? Yeah, I, I think it's yeah, it's, it's okay. a cool because it's kind of a street language as well. Is like in New York, you you walk in the street oh, yeah. or in LA or in Miami or Chicago. And people are talking Spanglish in the streets, and that's it's Spanish because Latin presence is so big here in the nice. world. That and it's a blend, and it's very unique. You know, it's very like human. It's like they don't know how to speak very well English nor Spanish, but both they it makes sense when it comes together. Right. Two more questions. Um, the one of the first question <laughs> is: Do you feel that Latin bands need to sing in English? to hit that peak of success? 
for example, Romeo Santos, he's a bachatero. He doesn't want to sing in English anymore. He doesn't he, need he, to. He, he doesn't, he need, doesn't to. need to sing. Right, but, but bachata is a hard sell for a white American girl from California. Ah, uh, yes. That, but bachata is because it, it, it's very folklorico. You know, it's like right. having vallenato yeah, yeah, yeah. to a white girl. Ah, who's, yeah, 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 yeah. It's difficult. Definitely. I think if it's natural. It's a lot of Latin. Yeah. Right. Do you feel the pressure to sing in English no, at some point in order to get that English language audience? You know, he, but you for know, me, you know, des, despacito. Claro, claro. This is the heat of the heat. But it's, it's but it's abnormal. But Justin Bieber did it in English. Yeah, <laughs> ju- yeah, Justin Bieber was the one that really took <laughs> yeah. it to that it's next true, level because it, if it depends was if it's natural. It depends no, no. on a rich artist. No, no, no. De- definitely, definitely, definitely exists a different when you speak in English and you speak in Spanish. You know, we. We have 10 years in that, so we can see it. Because, of course, everybody, most of the people on the market speak in English. Right. So it's easier to sell something in English than in Spanish. But you don't need to, you don't have to. But you have despacito. But that's an abnormality. That's not something that happens every week, every month. That's like once in a generation. Like once three years. Yeah. Like the last one was Macarena, you know, where... Bailando. Oh, bueno, yeah, the, the, the was it the Nicky Jam, the Gente de Zona, right, with Enrique. And then the last question I wanted to ask you was your musical influences. I know Simone that Pink Floyd and the Wall was something very special to you. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's for me it's a triangle, a triangle. But it's not it's not like a specific band, mm-hmm. but a musical triangle that I see that is it begins in Africa. It passes like through Europe, goes down to the Caribbean and touches Colombia and goes back so to Africa. So it's like all uh, all the music that I like comes from Africa, like dance music comes from Africa. Mm-hmm. And the Caribbean is our whole Caribbean universe, you know, Cuba, right. Colombia, everything. And Colombia. And that painted that's where with the heart of a little bit of electronic right. music and So give me it. give me three bands, Lee, and give me three bands, Simone. Uh, that you m- love so much that it's influenced you as an artist today? Yo Arroyo, Daft Punk, y Ready Red. Wow. That's a great mix. <laughs> love that mix. That's crazy. I love it. <laughs> Simone, can you top those three? Uh, for me, it could be Chemical Brothers. Awesome. And Fela Kuti and... <laughs> there's this musical renaissance. Why do you think that there's such a musical renaissance happening in Colombia right now with everybody? It's a necessity. It's a necessity to say, to do something different and to create a new scene. To show something alternative, but that it was Latin, you know? Right. A mix that wasn't salsa, merengue, or vallenato, but electronic, but Latin. Sí, well. Yeah, and Colombia is a strong country, a strong culture, man, and and it needs, like, the country needs himself to be told through art, through music, through film, through literature, through painting, through, so, so you see, it's not only music, you see Colombian film and Colombian writers and Colombian artists, everything is like, because the country is strong, we have lots of energy. So well, there's definitely, country. it's a special country, I think Colombia right now is where the hub of artistry and creativity is right now in Latin America. So, bomba. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> If you're looking for some new songs to listen to, check out these three tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Ay, ay, ay. La que me gusta, Los Amigos Invisibles. Slide, Calvin Harris featuring Frank Ocean and Migos. Slide 
Somos dos, Bomba Estéreo. Hey guys, I quickly wanted to announce that we're doing our very first giveaway on this episode. Uh, Disney has given me the okay to give away two Blu-ray copies of the Oscar-winning animated film Lion King to two lucky winners within the United States. Here's what you need to do to win them. The first two emails that I receive at highlyrelevant at showbizcafe.com, that's Highly relevant at showbizcafe.com describing what you like about our podcast wins them. It's that easy. I'll announce the winners in our next episode. So I am here at the IMAX movie theater. Uh, just finished watching Dunkirk. Lights literally just went on. Credits are rolling. Uh, this is the matinee on a Saturday morning. Um, Dunkirk from Christopher Nolan, written and directed uh, by him, and uh, it came out a few weeks ago already. Um, it was number one at the box office, and I'm here with my brother and his wife, Alex. How are you? I'm doing all right. So we just finished seeing this movie. Uh, immediate thoughts and reaction to what you thought of the film? Um, it's it's an epic an epic film. Um, you know, we've, we've certainly seen a lot of war movies, um, but, um, you know, it's, it's a gut-wrenching uh, film um, that, you know, weaves together three slightly different timelines, and it's an interesting take on a particular battle that we hadn't seen before, um, so interesting to say the least. To me, one of the issues as the last credit rolls here and lights are fully on, they're now telling us to get out of here, <laughs> but we'll stay here for just maybe a minute or more. Um, it, I, it was a bit complicated to kind of follow the story. This was a survival film, uh, the, to say the least. Uh, it's a movie that didn't really have a plot. Um, there were no developed characters. Um, it was almost like an obstacle course to a certain extent of these army soldiers trying to escape, you know, the, 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 the bloody sites of war. Um, you couldn't really root for anybody. If somebody died, you didn't really care for them as much because of the lack of character development. Um, a lot of actors, Kenneth Branagh, Mark Rylands, Cillian Murphy, Tom Hardy, who played a pivotal role yet was in the focus of the story. Uh, I wouldn't even put this movie in my top 10 war movies in history. Would you? I definitely agree that it's, it's, it's hard to have a, an emotional connection uh, to some of these characters because it is so spread out and, you know, it does cover a lot of ground. Um, I, I give Christopher Nolan credit for, you know, trying a different approach, but... Um, I would agree that it, it was tough to emotionally connect um, to the movie, even though I thought it was visually spectacular. Stunning. I mean, they used the 70-millimeter uh, film uh, at the IMAX. Visually, the movie is just absolutely stunning. Uh, it, I, I can't remember another movie like this recently in the last several years that managed to capture the visual spectacle in terms of not CGI, but just like stunt, um, like, like this movie, uh, were you entertained at least? I definitely was entertained. I mean, it's a, it's a visceral experience. So it, you know, seeing it in IMAX 70 millimeter does give you the opportunity to really, it's the only way to really see this movie, right? Yeah. I mean, it gives you the opportunity to really immerse yourself and have that, front row experience to to war mm -hmm. um, so it's it's definitely entertaining um, but as we touched on earlier it's it's difficult to emotionally connect um, you know the way we've done with you know other war movies where we follow a particular soldier or a particular or there's a love story usually involved in a lot of these war movies for something for you to go back home to I couldn't really, first of all, you know, one of the problems I had with the film was I couldn't really understand what a lot of these uh, characters were, were saying. I don't know if it's the type of English. Um, there, there are a lot of key moments that I wish I had a clearer understanding of the dialogue. 
Yeah, um, you know, from it, it was difficult to follow a little bit, um, it, but there wasn't a whole lot of dialogue to begin with. Right. I mean, it was, it was, it was. I would say light on dialogue, um, but you know, it, it makes it even more important to try to catch what they're saying uh, because there's so little dialogue, and the the dialogue that you know is there is key. Right. Uh, the movies. It's like an action war film, and one of the key things about this film in particular was the suspense, and I think that suspense was driven by the score. Once again, we hear the Christopher Nolan trademark horns uh, with Hans Zimmer uh, being a part of the soundtrack, obviously. I heard it was based on uh, some gentleman named Edward Elgar, some of the uh, compositions. Very suspenseful film, uh, definitely, I would say that. Almost never... It never went into the horror sort of war uh, territory, um, but definitely very, very suspenseful. I had knots in my stomach for most of the film, probably mostly because of the score. Um, any, any last thoughts on the film before uh, we wrap it up here? War movies are tough. Um, I mean, you know, this one in particular, even though it's set in World War II, and I think we all have, you know, a a general sense of you know how things went down in in, in World War II. Um, this was this is a story that you hadn't really heard of before. You know, you, that's true. You know, this was a particularly uh, fresh angle, if you can if you can say that. So it was an interesting film. I think Chris Nolan is always looking to push the envelope, always looking to be avant garde where he can, and and uh, you know he's always pushing the art form. Um, but, um, you know, in the end, I think it's, a, it's an entertainment film that doesn't quite uh, connect emotionally, but it's certainly worth a watch for, for anyone who's, you know, looking to, uh, you know, immerse themselves in that experience. Will we see this movie at the Oscars, in your opinion? I definitely think you're going to see a lot of technical recognition. Uh, the photography was spectacular. I think the editing is also something that, you know, might get, some attention. Absolutely. There were some shots that I just still don't understand how they did that. I mean, uh, there was at the end of the movie, there was this shot of Tom Hardy just kind of floating with the motor not running uh, towards the end. How I just don't know how they made these shots. So absolutely, technically, this movie will be nominated for Oscar. I don't know about the creative categories, but technically, this movie is one of the best of the year. Definitely. Definitely. I think you'll see some some recognition there. All right, well, that does it for us. Uh, as we mount the elevator here, getting ready to get out uh, over the weekend, hope you guys uh, had a chance to see it. And if you didn't, uh, hopefully this review will uh, help you kind of gather your thoughts and, and see if you want to see it a little bit more. Alex, thanks a lot for inviting me. Uh, it's one of the few times I actually pay to see a film, but uh, it was definitely worth it. I don't know if it's one of the best movies they've seen in a while, uh, but definitely a movie worth watching in the experience of IMAX. And before we wrap up the show, I passed by the Today Show this week and recommended several TV shows you should binge before the end of summer. Have a listen. to tell us. <laughs> Which ones are worth binge-watching before they return to TV is the editor-in-chief of showbizcafe.com and the host of the of highly relevant podcast, Jack Rico. Welcome back, Jack. Thank you very much, guys. How are you? Here. I can't believe that right? this time around I got the Snuggies on me. You put so much effort into your outfit <laughs> I, for the show. I, I kind of do, believe it or not. Right now. <laughs> now it's all covered. <laughs> you kind of look like a professor, though, Jack, to be honest. A little honest. bit of a professor. Look, no, yeah. that is true. I there you go. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's start with our first binge-worthy show worth watching. It's the last season of the Mindy Project, which of course is universal television production. That's right. So the sixth and final season. Uh, a lot of people are going to miss the show on Hulu. Uh, and it's uh, literally the creation of uh, Mindy Kaling, who wrote it, produced it, uh, stars in it, obviously. And it's about a show about 30-somethings that are trying to literally kind of just figure out life. Uh, and in that process, uh, they do a really good job of it. It's clever. It's charming with a touch of risque. 
Um, and at the same time, it's a landmark show because it's the first time an Indian American woman has starred in her own broadcast TV show. So Shonda Rhimes knows how to keep us oh, entertained. Yeah. That's for sure. Two of her shows are coming back. Grey's Anatomy and Scandal. Now, you're going to have to set a lot of time for Grey's Anatomy. It's 13 <laughs> yeah. seasons. I don't know where you're going to... 13 13, well, 13 seasons you can binge. Season 14 is returning on September 28th. Wow. Uh, so it's an acclaimed show, Golden Globe, a medical drama. People really love the show. And then Scandal, obviously, with Carrie Washington as Olivia Pope. Uh, seventh and final season. Uh, she's a fixer who just can't seem to fix her own life. So this is one that has made such an impact uh, on, a, on a cultural level that this one's going to be missed a lot. Everybody's wondering how it will end. Will she or yeah. won't she end up with fit? And uh, now they just picked up Shonda Rhimes on Netflix, a multi-year deal. Yes. So watch out for that. Yeah, that is she's going to be creating new shows for a them. Gold mine waiting to happen. <laughs> We've been talking a lot here about Will and Grace oh, and the yeah. return. Can you give us any extra tidbits? Eight seasons from 1998 <sighs> to 2006. So They're returning Eric McCormack, Deborah Messing, Sean Hayes, Megan Mullally. The response has been so electric that they the show was supposed to be 12 just episodes. They extended to 16 and they just renewed it for season two without the first show even airing or the first episode wow. even airing. So, they must uh, be so confident. tremendous right? response. Yeah. We can't wait for the show to come back. And uh, also Jane the Virgin. She's coming back. Uh, October fourth 13th, season? fourth wow. season already. This is the show that made Gina Rodriguez a star. Mm. Uh, it's about a pregnant virgin who's just uh, trying to figure everything out with this bizarre circumstance of events. See if you can uh, do it. It's an English language novella that's very charming, very quirky, but very emotional at the same time. Hmm. And we have one more. Curb your enthusiasm. Yes. Obviously, that's the, that's the hit. <laughs> well, Larry David decided to take off six years that before is, doing season nine. I guess he must have come whatever up. He wants. Whatever he wants. Came up with a, a great idea. Now he's returning October 1st for season nine. Uh, if you haven't seen the show, it's Larry. It's the misadventures of Larry David, who plays an exaggerated version of himself um, with very comical effect. I think one of the key things about the show is that underneath all the jokes is a lot of social commentary. Mm -hmm. And he does it very skillfully and very comically to the point that you can laugh but without the guilt. Sure, and you know what? The fact that it went away and now it's back, I feel like it builds it up even oh, more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everyone's right. excited for, yeah. for it. Yeah. Good stuff. Jack, thank you so much. <laughs> it's always so, much, so nice guys. to have you here. That's it for episode 45 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Colombia's Bomba Estéreo for stopping by the show this week, as well as Mesfin Ficaru of the Associated Press. And thank you guys for taking the time out to listen from your favorite streaming platform wherever you may be. If you like this U.S. Latino podcast, please share it on your social media apps, tell your friends about it, and have them subscribe to the show. It depends on you guys to help us get the word out. Hope you enjoy your weekend and stay connected with us via showbizcafe.com. See you next week on another episode of... A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.